Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus episode of Star Spangled Eurovision. Uh, as promised, we are dedicating a full episode to what happened in Ukraine. Can I just say that so people <laughs> at work know that I have a Eurovision blog, like they're not into it. But a lot of people came up to me and they're like, so I've been reading about this in like the BBC. Like it actually made pretty substantial headlines, mm-hmm. uh, the drama that yeah. went on. New York Times this. and Washington Post both read something. Up yeah, about it, very interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, as we know now, uh, Ukraine has withdrawn from Eurovision after a very contentious situation uh, that had to do with their national final. I mean, it all started kind of during the final itself. So there were six acts competing. Um, For what I understand, three of them were kind of Russian speaking Ukrainian uh, acts, while the other three were sort of Ukrainian speaking acts. Um, and the three the three Russian speaking acts were grilled by the judges, basically on their loyalty to Ukraine. So Yuko, one of the acts, um, she the singer for Yuko is actually a Russian citizen. And the judges told her, like, basically that or asked her if she would be willing to give up her Russian citizenship to represent Ukraine and become a full Ukrainian, quote unquote. And she, I mean, she agreed. She was like, we don't, we're not touring in Russia. I mean, her song was in Ukrainian. So, I mean, so I guess it wasn't a problem for them. But, and then when she agreed, Jamala, who was one of the judges, also the winner of Eurovision 2016, um, said, oh, you know, it's such a great story that a Russian moves to Ukraine and learns Ukrainian and, you know, whatever. So there's that. As a quick side note on that too, you don't need to actually be a citizen of the country that you are performing for. It's really like the song has to like, like the song which I was in that country where there have been many instances like Eleni Ferreira last year wasn't actually a Cypriot citizen. I believe she was Albanian. Like that's not like crazy that you would have like a citizen of another country yeah. performing for exactly. Ukraine. Alexeyev and performed for Belarus, even though he's Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it's and Max, common. didn't you mention that um, after all this, a couple of countries actually offered to potentially have Maruf? Perform for them. Um, I actually think that so she said that a couple countries had offered her before the competition. I'm oh. not sure. I we can clarify that. Yeah. Um, so Maruv, uh, when she performed, was questioned about her upcoming tour in Russia. Asked if she'd be willing to give up performing in Russia if she were to become the Ukrainian representative. And then Jamala came at her with this question, basically of, you know, a, a journalist comes up to you and is, you know, asking you, Maruv, I have an uncomfortable question for you. Is you is Crimea Ukraine? Hi, Anya. Hi, Maruv. Welcome to Tel Aviv. So I have very uncomfortable question to you. Crimea is Ukraine? Ukraine, of course. Okay. Which, you know, Maruv said yes, of course, but you know, that's kind of an inappropriate line of questioning, really, uh, honestly. And finally, I think this all kind of reached a climax during the final when Anna Maria, which is actually twin sisters, after their performance. So it turns out that their mother is a government official in Russian-occupied Crimea. And basically, the host was like, well, I can ask you about Crimea and who it belongs to, but that would, your answer would either sink your career or your mother's. And basically was like, you must choose between your family and your country, which is wildly inappropriate. 
appropriate, <laughs> um, especially in, in like a televised situation. And Andre Dinoco, who's also one of the judges and the man who's most well known for Verga Suduchka, his character, was like, this is like a Soviet party meeting, <laughs> basically comparing it to that kind of thing. Yeah, this isn't like Michael Cohen in front of the House Oversight Committee. This is like this a, is a business <laughs> Ukrainian idol going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like you are... <laughs> It's a little much, like tone it down. I think that this is like a perfect example of maybe you should reevaluate, you know, why you're a part of your vision and what it's supposed to represent. Mm -hmm. Because I think that most countries are not reading it the same way that Ukraine is. And it, it, it's just a lot. And I like I obviously understand the desire for among Ukrainians to make sure that their representative sort of is aligned with sort of the national mm -hmm. stance on it. But doing that during the national final in such a televised manner is extremely inappropriate. I don't, I'm surprised they didn't do this kind of vetting beforehand, honestly. Well, before we go too long, you just want to finish out the oh, story yeah. and how okay. it ends. So Maruv wins. Uh, she is, you know, she was the fan favorite for a long time. And her the popular, song is great. Her song is incredible. is also incredible yeah uh we'll put a link in the show notes if you haven't seen it please do it's awesome um but so she won and basically she had 24 hours to sign a contract with the ukrainian national broadcaster in order to be eurovision's represent or ukraine's representative at eurovision and in the end she refused to sign the contract because that she believed that it would make her a quote-unquote bat in the political arena that, you know, there was a lot of censorship in the contract, that she wasn't allowed to talk to journalists um, or do anything uh, without the permission of the Ukrainian national broadcaster. Otherwise, she would face a massive fine. Um, she had to give up, you know, performing in Russia, which she was fine with. But yeah, so basically she was like, this contract is unfair and refused to sign it. Uh, they offered it to a couple other of the acts at well, the national final. Didn't the contract also say that, like, she had to basically pay her own way yeah. to go to Eurovision. But if she breached any part of the contract, like spoke to journalists or did something that was like impromptu and not, you know, strictly rehearsed by them, then she would have to pay them a fine. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're not going to get anything like financially exactly. out of it. You're just going to be fine if you do anything wrong. So the thing about paying her own way that so that was announced a while ago where the broadcaster said they wouldn't actually sponsor the person to go to Israel. According to her, she was fine with paying her own way. She was fine with canceling her tour in Russia, but she didn't. She was against the censorship that she would have to face. And this is all her side of the story. We haven't actually seen the contract or what mm -hmm. was in it. 
And so it was also offered up after her refusal to some of the other acts who also refused to participate and sign the contract. And so Ukraine decided in the end to withdraw. Um, the national broadcaster released a statement talking about how you know they couldn't get to an agreement over what the role of the national representative for Ukraine at Eurovision should be. Um, the Ukrainian broadcaster is sort of of the opinion that the representative needs to be an ambassador for Ukraine and uh, stand for, you know, what Ukrainian society stands for and called for. Or it, and it mentioned specifically that there is like a huge divide in Ukraine over the artists, Ukrainian artists still having serious connections to Russia and how appropriate that is and called for sort of a national dialogue to discuss that issue. Um, they said they will be back in 2020, unless, of course, Russia wins, in which case they will sit out 2020 as well. And yeah, so that's kind of where we are now with that situation. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? I mean, I think it's obviously a lot of thoughts. Um, obviously, the biggest joke of all of this is that the rules of Eurovision say that no political songs can be entered and that it's just a way for like European harmony and friendly competition and stuff. Um, obviously, when two of the acts competing have been more or less in like a cold war, um, cold and sometimes hot war for the past five years um, in Crimea, uh, first because of the annexation of Crimea and then in the eastern Russian speaking parts of yeah, parts of definitely Ukraine. Hot war. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely off and on hot war. Um, <laughs> like things are going to boil over. We've like there's been a like, kind of a long history of this Ukrainian Russian animosity in recent years. Um, Jamala, who Max mentioned is one of the judges, sang a song that was in theory, um, it was called 1944 and it was in theory about the Soviet killing of Tatars. Um, the lyrics could definitely be construed to be about the current war. When Ukraine then hosted, they banned the Russian singer from competing because they said that she had illegally entered Russian territory by performing Ukrainian. in Crimea. Oh, sorry. Ill illegally entered Ukrainian territory by performing in Crimea, which obviously the Russian argument was that it was Russian territory. But I mean, honestly, I think the whole thing just really backfires for Ukraine. I mean, obviously, Ukraine's government has a lot of allegations of corruption. Like they're in the middle of a war and their eastern half of the country. Um, a lot's going on. But they, I mean, Ukrainians take a ton of pride in Eurovision and the fact that they've been pretty successful um, since 2000 or so, I think they've won twice, mm -hmm. um, has been like a real point of pride for them. And I, I definitely see, I mean, when you're in situations such as this, you want like your any figurehead you have on the um, global European stage should be like pro-Ukrainian and anti-Russian, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I feel like this whole thing has just come up, ended up making the Ukrainian government look like a yeah. Soviet like stooge government yeah. who won't let any freedom of expression. I think yeah, and it's also I mean, it's also just a shame. I think I think that with everything going on in the country and the way that Ukrainians have such a appreciation of Eurovision, it's a shame that they're the that the music and the chance to kind of do this international thing um, to kind of take your mind off of it. The fact that, you know, that's being compromised because of politics when it really doesn't have to be um, is a shame. Like there's enough going on already. It's just a shame that this is one of the things that have to be affected by it. And I definitely agree. Like I'm as surprised as you, Max, that they didn't have these discussions before. Like why it was happening on stage, making a public spectacle. Um, it surprises me not only because 
it's kind of inappropriate for TV, mm-hmm. but also you're opening this up to the world. Like you are airing the like the dirty laundry of your politics and how you scrutinize the people within your country on air. And you know that like other European countries are going to see it. And it just was a moment that I guess I wish I hadn't seen in this context. Mm. Like I understand things are difficult and I'm not saying that you should keep everything to yourself, but you should definitely keep it out of the Eurovision arena. Yeah. Well, also just the whole shadiness of the contract, because some reporting has come out that like past Ukrainian entries haven't had this like crazy restriction of their contract, which, you know, like maybe they did, blah, blah, blah. We can't really be sure. But the idea of being handed this contract that's like selling your life away, as Mm -hmm. Maruv has portrayed it for a year, is like pretty crazy. Yeah, I think it brings up an interesting discussion of sort of Ukrainian national identity, um, because obviously they want, like you said, they want a representative on the world stage that, you know, supports Ukrainian, uh, quote unquote, Ukrainian values and, you know, the mainstream opinions of Ukrainian society and the government and whatever. But, you know, the way that this played out and I know so Ukraine obviously has shifted very much toward um, being European and pro-Europe, particularly since Russia invaded. But something like this is just it's also it's inherently undemocratic, um, not really aligned with Western values, right? Like of, of freedom of speech and freedom of political opinion. Um, and it was surprising, honestly, because I like if you watch the beer without context of the conflict necessarily, you would see that they were targeting the Russian speaking acts or the acts with specific ties to Russia. And you one might think while watching it that there is, you know, that the Russian minority and Russian speakers in Ukraine are, you know, discriminated against, that they're being sort of put through these loyalty tests or whatever, um, which is, it's not really the case in Ukraine, right? Like if you look at attitudes in Ukraine uh, toward Russian speakers, like the divide, the divide over sort of the Russia question is not along ethno-linguistic lines at all, right? It's a values line. And there's people on both sides of that of, you know, who are Russian speakers and Ukrainian speakers. Like there's Ukrainian speakers who are pro-Russia. There's Russian speakers who are pro-Ukraine. Russian speaking Ukrainians are fighting alongside their Ukrainian speaking brethren uh, on the front lines in the Donbass. There's there isn't that division in Ukrainian society, but it here it came out here at Vidbir. And I it's just like it seems like. It's a slippery slope to that kind of toxic nationalism where you start, you know, questioning someone's loyalty to the country based on their sort of ethnic or linguistic background. And that's not really the case widely, but you could see that slippery slope starting to take. Well, I just feel like it's like everything about this whole episode has kind of like confirmed what the pro-Russian separatists have been trying to say and argue all along, which is that the Ukrainian government is biased against Russian speakers. Exactly. And that they're like super corrupt and blah, blah, blah. And like all like these complaints have come out and it's just really kind of wild to see all this happen at once. Because again, like if I was a corrupt, (laughs) discriminatory government, I would have just picked like... Miss Ukraine, Ukrainian speaking, who like hates Russia to be the singer. And you could have just done that. And instead, it's like kind of seeing all of these very like core questions about governance and identity and all this stuff, like blast it out into the open for mm-hmm. everyone to see. Yeah. 
And I think it's also interesting just because, you know, like I mentioned, like Ukraine is still kind of struggling to find its national identity. Like, it, you know, for the last 30 years of independence, it's been sort of stuck in the middle between Russia and Europe, trying to decide sort of which way it wants to go, trying to come out of the shadow of Russia and more toward Europe at times. And I mean, obviously, again, as I mentioned, like that the sort of pro-European tilt has been solidified after Russia invaded. But there's still significant ties, like economically, you know, linguistically, obviously, to Russia. Um, and that's very evident in the music industry, where a lot of Ukrainian artists rely on the Russian market um, for exposure, for, you know, it's a huge market for them. And cutting that off for someone like Maruv is could be a career killer, honestly, because, you know, she has some popularity in Russia. People are clearly buying tickets to her shows. Um, and that's the case for a lot of Ukrainian artists. Um, I know some of them definitely, you know, from a moral perspective, don't perform in Russia, which is great. And that's fine. But others, you know, that's that's a market. That's how they make money. That's how they make a living. And cutting that off is, I don't know, it's kind of fucked up in a way that, you know. So yeah. I don't I don't I, mean, I don't know what the answer is. And I, I do agree that there should be a sort of national dialogue about it. But we have to, you know, they have to be really careful to not let anti-Russian sentiment turn into any kind of like really toxic nationalist behavior or rhetoric. Preach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many, like Max, you were kind of watching it, how many performers were not questioned who were just... So three of them were not questioned, right? Like, so the three Ukrainian-speaking three performers... Of how many? Six. Yeah, that's insane. So, like, um, like... When after like Brunette Shoot Blondes performed, like, you know, they just had some questions about their performance and their song and, you know, some comments on that. After um, Freedom Jazz, also Ukrainian speaking, like, you know, they had comments about the performance, but nothing about the politics of it. Uh, there was some controversy around Casca because of their ties to one of the judges, because I think he was like, he like runs their label or something. Um, and so like there was accusations of like favoritism and like they've been getting a lot of like heat on social media, but it wasn't like a, a political thing necessarily. But then, you know, Yuko and Maruv and Anna Maria all got, you know, seriously grilled. Like some of them were in tears during it. And it is I think it's it's interesting because I, I don't think that necessarily reflects the reality on the ground in Ukraine between Russian speaking and Ukrainian speaking Ukrainians, but one could, you know, one could see this from the outside without that context and that knowledge and assume that, you know, there's a serious divide, a divide that, by the way, could be very much exploited by Russia. I'm sure I didn't read any of the Russian media um, around this, but I'm sure that they, you know, Maruv is being portrayed as a martyr of some sort, you know, that they're, you know, and they're trying to play this angle of like discrimination against Russian speakers. I think what we want to say, long story short, is Marov, if you ever come to the U.S., we will gladly come and watch you perform because that was awesome. And we're very sad that you're not going to make it. Um, get to go to Eurovision this year. Uh, when that performance came out, I personally was like, Oh shit, this is in the top three, definitely. Oh, 100%. Like, it is yeah. an incredible form performance. It would have done extremely well at Eurovision. 
I don't know if it would have won, but it would have been top five. It would have been great at the Eurovision uh, nightclubs. Like everyone would have lost their shit. And honestly, it's almost like a Eurovision classic already. I think like (laughs) I think people remember this song. It's it was a huge fan favorite. Like people were obsessed with this song and were so heartbroken that, you know, she decided not to uh, sign the contract. I'm sure, you know, people understood why. And like the Mm -hmm. blame is sort of all on the. I had Ukrainian to broadcaster. put it back into my Eurovision playlist because <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'm, it, it's still Eurovision to me. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think this could only benefit Maruv's career in the end. Like, she's gotten a lot of exposure through this. And true. I think people will be pretty loyal and listen to her music and go see her concerts and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ukraine has a, has a bit of a reckoning um, with how they handle this kind of situation. I mean, I don't think that there should be any kind of loyalty test to begin with, but if they're going to do that kind of stuff, you got to vet them beforehand. You can't let this, <laughs> you can't let this happen on national television. Cause that's fucked up. <laughs> free advice for the totalitarian governments out there. Bring your <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting too, cause they have the elections coming up and the, the lead in the elections and the polls is a comedian. So, <laughs> Ukraine's got a lot to deal with right now. I feel like you shouldn't have made Eurovision such a big deal, <laughs> but... Maybe he'll crack some jokes about what happened at the music oh, contest. We'll see. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for listening to our little bonus episode. Um, as usual, you can follow us on Instagram at Star Spangled Eurovision, um, on Twitter at SSE underscore pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Spangled Eurovision, you can send us an email with your thoughts on this situation or anything else um, at starspangledeurovision at gmail.com. And yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Thank you all. Thank you.